Thank you, Matt. Thank you, worship team. Good morning, everybody. Great morning. Great to see all of you, and good morning to those of you watching online. It's good to be together, isn't it? It's always good to be together with family, and I think about that and being good, being great to be together with family back in high school. Um, during the summer, I'd head off to Colorado where my brother lived, one of my brothers lived, and uh, with his wife, and spend some time with them, and one of the things that they loved doing was going water skiing, and so I remember in this one particular year, we headed on down south from Denver to Pueblo, to Lake Pueblo there, and uh, water skied and camped there. And I remember one of the things about going into the state of Colorado was that it seemed like almost all the time there was some sort of storm that would come through at night. It was a thunderstorm, lightning, whatever, it would go on. And so I kind of got understanding that that's kind of what the norm was until on this particular night, we're in a camper shell, right, on the back of a pickup, and we're out on this campground, and all of a sudden the storm comes in. But the storm is coming alive, unlike I'd ever experienced a storm before. So much so that the, the rain coming down on this camper shell is just pelting it. I think there was even hail for all I know. And the wind was causing it to shake. And you heard crackling sounds and all that. And I'm thinking, this is not good. And then you see the lightning. And as we're looking out this little window, as, this, as the rain's you know, pelting this window, and I'm kind of my, almost my face is pressed against them, looking out at this lightning here and there. All of a sudden, off in the horizon is a lightning bolt that comes down and hits whatever it hits, and it just ignites in this big flash of light. And we're like, all at unison, like a choir, oh, man, did you see that? How could you miss it, right? And then all of a sudden, that flash of light comes down, literally like that, and then there's a neon purple glow across the horizon. It's freaky. And, of course, the wind's still going the whole thing. The next day we get up and everybody around in the campsite is talking, did you see, did you feel, did you hear, did, you know, it's all that is the conversation. I'm like, yeah, it was what everybody was talking about the next day. Well, we got back to town a couple days later from the trip back into Denver and found out that that lightning bolt struck a power distribution plant and blew it up. That's why there was a big glow across the horizon was because of that. And I don't know if you were here with us last week, but there was a different kind of storm that Pastor Simon took us through that uh, was a little bit different of a storm, but it was a frightening storm. It was actually a deadly storm because God's judgment on two people in the early church came about. In Acts chapter 4, 32 to 37, we looked through that a couple weeks ago. And it tells that many people were selling property and, and bringing the proceeds from that property, uh, 100% in many cases, to the, to the apostles to distribute amongst the church so that needs in the church could be better met. And Ananias and Sapphira were part of that church family, and they sold a piece of property for a certain amount, but they claimed it was only this amount. And so they went forth and they gave the money and claimed that it was uh, um, lied about how much money they made. And because of their sin in the church before a holy God and God working in the church, he struck them both dead within three hours of one another. First the husband and then the wife. And, and seeing that this had happened, hearing that this had happened, Scripture tells us that great fear came over the entire church. Kind of like great fear for me came over me when I, saw, when I see lightning anymore from that storm and, and experiencing it. And like the next day after the storm at Lake Pueblo, 
all the talk about what had happened to them was, was all anybody was talking about in the church and around in the community. And so today we continue with Dr. Luke's account of what occurred next and the journey in the life of the church. And like uh, the distinctive glow across that horizon that is so vivid in my mind, there's this idea of, um, of, of something that you're going to see here. Uh, as well that, that hopefully will stick out to you, that, that stands out. It stood out to Luke as he wrote this and wants us to, to take that. What we're going to see today is a distinctive, uh, un, um, you know, just, I don't know how to say it, just extremely like clear, distinctive mark of the mighty power of God through the apostles and what he's doing through them. We're also going to see the reaction of both people in the church and outside the church in reaction to this mighty work and power of God that's, that's going on. And then we're going to see how more and more people, actually more than ever, came to know Christ as their Savior and Lord. And finally, we'll, I want to offer two reminders as we go into 2022, because we haven't been together in 2022 yet until now, right? We were online last week, we're online today, but some of us are together here and so as I think, thought about, uh, as we go ahead into 2022, what, what could we be looking at? And so, so with that, uh, and kind of a preview where we're going, I want to invite you to take your Bible and open up to Acts chapter 5, if you're not there yet. Acts chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 12 to 16, but we'll be starting in verse 11. So let's go find your Bible, find your reading glasses as you need to, and uh, <laughs> there you go. Find that. Are we there? Yeah. Oh, man, I think, thanks for the response. Yep, we're there. All right, so Acts chapter 5. We'll start in verse 11. This is where it ends, and I've already mentioned this, but this is where we pick it up. Acts chapter 5, verse 11. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now, many signs, verse 12, and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that even uh, they carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Father, thanks for the opportunity to look into your word today, and I just pray, God, as the one who is here today to present your word, that, Lord, it would just be done effectively. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would illuminate the truth that's before us, that, Lord, you would speak to us where we are today, whether we're here at Grace Hills in person or we're watching online and our church family's there. Lord, just guide and direct us as you see fit through this text and through this message. Let me just simply be an instrument of bringing forth your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but a number of years ago, I did a uh, Google review. I think it's the only Google review I've ever done. Um, you know, they, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but I did one about Grace Hills Church. <laughs> I did a review about Grace Hill Church for my comments, so if you want to go look at Google Review, you can see uh, William March is probably listed on there somewhere. It's not something I do, but we, we go and do this, and we, and we might go to Yelp and see a review. Well, in the same kind of idea, that's what Luke is doing here in these verses. It's kind of like he's writing a review. Here, here's what happened before, which is what we looked at last week, 
And I want to review, here's the outcome of the result of that. And then next week we'll look into where, where this takes us. And so verses 12 to 16 is kind of that idea. It's like a review, if you will, of what's happening. But before Luke wrote the, writes what happens next to the apostles in verses 17 to 42, which is where we'll be in time, he reviews the results of verses 1 through 11. And if you have a Bible open, you might see above your Bible, above verse 12, it might say, many signs and wonders done. Or you might have it saying something to the effect of, where is it in my notes? Uh, it might be something more like, uh, apostles heal many. So you might have that. In other words, it's a snapshot. It's kind of a preview of what we're going to look at in the text. Well, what I want to do is I camped in Lake Pueblo for that week. We want to camp at verse 12 just for a few moments. And you might see in there as you look at the text back at verse 12, it says the word signs. Or you might have in your text miraculous signs. And that's the Greek word semeon. Semeon. And what that simply means is sign, or it could be translated miracle. So that's why you have certain translations of that way from that word. Then the next word is wonders. Signs and wonders, or miraculous signs and wonders, that's the Greek word teros, and it's the idea that you could translate the word marvel. And kids, if you're thinking of like Marvel comics, well, no, not really that. But Marvel is in a marvelous event manifesting a supernatural act of a divine agent. So it's a distinctive work that Luke is trying to convey. Here's what's going on. Make no mistake of the words I'm using. Samion and Teros, signs, wonders, miracles. Let's marvel at this. He's saying, hey, I want you to recognize the acts of the apostles through the power of God. They are not natural. They're not the norm. At least of what people had experienced in the church and in, in, in walking with God other than being around Jesus. And so while these signs and, and, and wonders are not natural, I love what the text says. Did you catch it? Look back in verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were what? Regularly done. It's the new norm. It's the new what you would see and, and expect. And it's part of what this review, if you will, that... Lucas put in here. He's like, this is what's going on now. This is regularly done. This is the new norm. And this shouldn't, as I thought about this, come as a surprise to us and certainly not to the apostles. And you think, well, why do you say that, Bill? Well, if I look to John 14, verse 12, here's what Jesus told his disciples, who would be the apostles as they lead the church. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Okay, they're going to mirror that. And greater works than these will he do or you guys do because I am going to the Father. And so what we have here is really a fulfillment of what Jesus said is going to happen. And now we're carrying it out and seeing as Luke writes it and says, look, this is regularly done now to make these amazing signs and wonders and what's going on. So then the question that comes to my mind, well, what's the point? Why is God doing this? What is the purpose of these supernatural acts through the apostles? What is up? What is, what is God up to, up to? Well, simply put, it's to authenticate the apostles. It's to authenticate the apostleship and the ministry God was doing through them. To let there be no mistake that it is God who is at work. It is Christ Jesus 
the risen Savior and the work of the Holy Spirit through them that this is being done. In back in verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 7 to 10, Peter's question about this. Like, how is it that all these are happening? What is going on? Who authorized you to do these signs and wonders, if you will? And, and here's his response in verses 7 to 10. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, this is the religious leaders, by what power or by what name did you do this? Did you do these works? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, God is working here, right? Said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, that was where this context comes from. By what means this man has been healed, let it be known. I want you to know, make no mistake to all of you and to all the people in Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the promised Messiah, the one who we've all been waiting for, it's him whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man stands before you as well. In other words, let there be no mistake. It is God at work here. So it's authenticating the apostleship. That's what his purpose is to do here. And then if I look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, it confirms this authentication, stating that the signs of a true apostle, in other words, ones that are anointed by God, that have the Holy Spirit, signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So it's just a, a confirmation that here's what is going on. Here's how God is at work. In other words, the signs and miracles are not some magical act. Peter is, I'm sure, as talented as he is, he is not a magician, right? This is God working through him. So what were the signs and wonders? What were those? We'll look back at verses 15 and 16. Verse 16 of Acts chapter 5 says that they were all healed, okay? Who is they? That's the question that came to my mind. Verse 15 says it's the sick. Verse 16, it says it's the sick, Also in verse 16, it says it's those with unclean spirits. In other words, those that are demon-possessed. Who's being defeated then in this case? Satan is. Thank you, class. Very good. He will do anything, as Pastor Simon brought to us last week, will do anything and use anyone to stop the spread of the gospel. That is his mission, to stop that. And we saw that as, as we're going to see this next week, as we look at in the next section of verses, let me just give you a preview of next week, verses 17 and 18 of chapter 5. So if you have it there, it follows right after verse 16. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sanhedrin, filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. In other words, Satan is working through here now to stop the spread of the gospel. These signs and wonders have got to be shut down. We don't want to see this moving forward. Because they're jealous, as it says here. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. He's my favorite Old Testament writer. Nothing new under the sun. And I want to submit to you that Satan is, is, is doing what he's always been doing. Trying to stop the movement of God. Trying to stop what God is doing. The spread of the gospel in this case. And while we may slow it down at times and move it at a slower pace than what we would like it to be, maybe as somebody that we're trying to reach out to and we want to see come to know Christ, at the end of the day, Satan will not win. 
Jesus tells us in Matthew 16, 18, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Even a virus, even whatever it could be, it's not going to prevail against God's church. We can rejoice in that. And so we've witnessed the distinctive and mighty power of God through the apostles. What else does Luke have to offer in this review, if you will, of what's been going on in the church up to this point? Specifically, what happened through the leadership of the apostles? They are leading the church. And it's their leadership that the people are following. And God is blessing and God is at work. Well, we're in the book of what? Acts. That's my key word for you. We're going to look at three acts of the apostles in this text that I see unfolding for us here. Here's the first act. Through the leadership of the apostles, the early church was unified. The early church was unified. Look back at verse 12, the latter part of it. It says, and they, that's the church, were all together in Solomon's portico. I want to look at two meanings behind this phrase, all together. All together, that's the church, we mentioned that, it's believers. And one meaning is location. Maybe if you're in real estate or heard that, it's location, Location. So there's a location element. We are located here in person. We are located on our couches uh, at the kitchen table where we might be online. So glad you're with us. So wherever the location is, well, in this case, it's Solomon's portico. And it's distinctively noted here. It's also noted back in verse 11 as well of Acts chapter 3, verse 11. It says that they're in the portico called Solomon's. So while Peter clung, uh, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together them at the portico called Solomon's. And then in verse 12, we have that as well. They're all together in Solomon's portico. So that's location. That's one meaning. The second meaning that they're all together, I think is more important than the location. Far more important than wherever they're meeting. And that is they're all together spiritually. They are all together unified spiritually. If you look back at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 46, I just want to highlight just a few phrases in these verses rather than reading the whole text. Verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves, so together as one. Then you jump down to verse 44, and it says, all who had believed were together and had all things in common. And then you jump down to verse 46, and day by day, Attending to the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food and with glad and sincere hearts. In other words, they are together spiritually. Not just in location, they're gathered together spiritually. They are one in Christ and working. You jump back to a few uh, a chapter before this in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 31 to 35. Again, just some highlights of these verses here that I wanted to highlight in. It says in verse 31 that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a unity going on here. Verse 32, it says that um, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart. They were of one soul. So there's a spiritual unity happening here. If you jump down to verse uh, 33 of Acts chapter 4, it says... And great grace was upon them all. So there's a pattern here. 
of this church and the unity of this church. So when it speaks that in verse 12, that they are together and they all have their one together, well, that's a reflection of this work that God is doing through them. In other words, through the leadership of the apostles, the early church was unified under them. And as a result, keep this in mind, as a result, great works then were done. Great and mighty works and signs and wonders were done. What a testimony for that church. That through the leadership of the apostles, the early church was unified. As I thought about that, I thought about, we're in January, right? And it's 2022, right? Okay. So that means I've now, officially as of this month, been in pastoral ministry for 30 years. And I stop and I'm like, really? Wow. <laughs> All right? No gray hair whatsoever. No glasses needed whatsoever back then. Right? 30 years. I've served in three churches over the course of 30 years. Uh, I, I was in the first church. I grew up in that church from 83 to, what, 98 that I, and I left. So 15 the next church I served in, I was there for, for 17 years, and I've been here for, for five and a half years. And I thought about that, and I want to ask you this question. You may not know the answer, but I want to give you encouragement today. Do you know what the difference of this church is compared to the other two churches that stands out to me more than anything? And you're like, okay, love, sure, definitely was there. Thank you for that. Unity. Yeah, I kind of gave you a clue with this point. Unity. This is the first church that I've served in in my 30 years of ministry where I do not know of, as a pastor, places of disunity. This is the first place I've experienced that. Were there places and times of unity in the previous two churches? Absolutely. Absolutely. But there was also segments and pockets and places where there was disunity. And that bugged me. And I want to tell you, it's one of the reasons why I think God led me out of the first church. Is because I knew for me, like, I can't, I just can't, I can't stand that. And so I share that with you to be of an encouragement with you, to, to you. And think of it this way. One of my mentors used to knock on my door and say to me, Bill, do you know how blessed you are? And he would say it like that, but with a James Earl Jones low voice, because he has that. And I remember he used to ask me that all the time. He used to ask all of us as a staff that all the time. And I would try to answer it going, oh, yeah, yeah, I do. No, no, I probably I really don't. I just want to raise the question to you. Do you know how blessed you are to be a church that's unified? I just want that to sink in for a moment today. Because that's what I'm seeing going on in this church in Acts chapter 5. And I'm seeing it here and it blesses my heart. It gives me joy to have that experience here, and that's what we want. And I would challenge you to value unity at Grace Hills Church. I would encourage you to protect unity at Grace Hills Church. 
in every way, in every shape, in every form, in every conversation, every life group meeting, everywhere that you would go, protect unity. May there be unity. Because for the leadership of the apostles, the early church was unified. I want to continue that legacy here for Grace Hills. So that's the first act. The second act through the leadership of the apostles is the power and glory of God was magnified. The power and glory of God was magnified. Verse 13 of Acts chapter 5. It's got some interesting words here, words that we just look at and kind of read past, but I want to drill down on them, camp out again, if you will. Verse 13, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. What is going on with this? Who is the rest Luke is referring to? Who are the people Luke is referring to in this particular verse? Well, I want to submit to you he's referring to non-believers. The rest, those outside the church, those who don't know Christ as their personal Savior, those who have yet to have the power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives, empowering them to live for Jesus. In other words, the outside church is looking in at the church. They're watching. They're observing. They're having conversations about the church. The rest of them dared join them. They they didn't want to do that. Who is them and them that Luke is referring to? Well, them is referring to, obviously, then if it's not non-believers, then it's got to be the believers. In other words, those on the inside that the outside was watching and taking in and observing and taking and watching how they live their lives as a church. In other words, these, the rest of them are kind of freaked out thinking, what, what do I, I don't, I don't know. I heard, because it's out around the campsite, that some people died in their church because they lied. None of the rest of them joined them, maybe because they weren't ready to be fully surrendered to Christ. Maybe they liked the miracles, who wouldn't? But they weren't ready to have Jesus be the Lord of their lives and to surrender completely of what that would look like. I don't know their hearts But I know mine at times, and yet it's deceitfully wicked who could know it. But what I do know, what I do recognize is that I can falter in that at times. Of going, God, am I fully surrendered to you in this area of my life, given in a given day, given moment, given minute of any every day that I live. So what's conclusion then is made by the non-believers about the believers in the early church? Well, the scripture says in verse 13 that the, but the people held them in high esteem. You might have, in your translation, highly regarded. Well, the root word there is megalina. Megalina, it's the root Greek word for that. It's the word magnify. It's what you get from megalina. Magnify. Believers and non-believers magnify the power and glory of God. And it was so magnified, the power... And the glory of God, they're like, I held you in high esteem, but I don't know if I'm ready to surrender completely because this is a God who seems to have this side of that he could be a judge as well. I don't know if you noticed last week in the text, but did you see, did you, did you see in the text that 
that uh, Ananias and Sapphira had magnifying glasses. Did you see that in the text? You're going, wait, what are you talking about? I didn't see that in the text. Oh, I, I did. I saw it in the text. What am I saying here? They were using a magnifying glass. And what is, the, what is the purpose of a magnifying glass? We have some of these at home. They're kind of fun to use. Some of us have it in these miniature forms as well, right? The purpose of a magnifying glass is to make what you're looking at appear larger than what? Than what it really is. Than reality. Ananias and Sapphira had a magnifying glass put upon what? Themselves. They wanted to magnify them amongst all the people in the church. Look at us. Notice what we've done. We've sold our property. And look at what we've sacrificed and given. And they put the magnification, the megalina, on them. And that's something we do not want to do. We do not want to do that. Because why? Well, in this case, it was their lives they sacrificed because they magnified themselves rather than God. They magnified them as being unholy before a holy God. They magnified lying as opposed to being truthful. You could go on with the list. As I thought about that, I looked at Isaiah 42, 8. This might give us a clue of how important it is to magnify the Lord and not ourselves. I am the Lord, Isaiah 42, 8 says. That is my name. My glory I give to who? No other. Yikes. Believe me. I have lots of learning to do. Because I like having a magnifying glass on me at times. Have you, have you been there? Or is it, just, is it just me? Look at me. Look at what I do. Don't look at what my bad house. Look at everything I do that's good, right? Let me magnify that. And yet, what do we see magnified here? It's the people with, who are weak. People who are broken. People that need healing spiritually. People that need healing physically. That's what's magnified, and through that, God's glory and God's power is magnified over that in their weakness, in their shortcomings, in whatever that might be for them. So I ask you to stop and think today, what in your life or who in your life is magnified most? If you're on social media, so it's a a tool a lot of people use to magnify something good. They usually don't magnify, I really messed up today. Bunch of likes, bunch of likes, bunch of likes, right? Because everyone's going to like what you messed up. Well, they mean they would if you put it on there, but right? We, we portray this idea. We magnify things that maybe aren't the full picture, the full context of ourselves. And so I would just ask you to stop and think today as we look at this act here, the power and the glory of God was magnified in this church. What are we magnifying here at Grace Hills? That's up to each of us each and every day is what we magnify most, most of the time. So I wrote in my notes, Bill, be careful. <laughs> be careful. Last act that I see here through the leadership of the apostles is new believers were multiplied. New believers are multiplied. Because the church is unified, because the church sought to make the glory of God magnified, and they realized how important that was and what had happened to Ananias and Sapphira, well, what happened? Verse 14, 
And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Did you catch the phrase more than ever? Like maybe some pastor someday might use it as a sermon title, right? More than ever. That's where this comes from. Because the church is unified, because God's glory and power is magnified, what does God do? More than ever, he multiplies and new people come to know Christ as their Savior. More people surrender to him as their Savior. The rest start becoming some of them. They're not just on the outside now. They're starting to be on the inside as God is at work here. God is blessing the church. And this pattern has been going on. If you go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says that 3,000 people were multiplied. Acts 4, 4 says that 5,000 were multiplied. So if I do my math, what is that? 8,000, thank you. So that's what I was thinking too. And here in verse 14 and verse 5, it says what? More than ever believers were added. To, were added. I don't know if that means there's more than 8,000. I don't know what the numbers are. But, but I can at least see that more than ever, people are coming to know Christ as their Savior under the leadership of the apostles and the work that God is doing through them. And Luke also says here in verse 14, more than ever believers are added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Women, it's the first time Luke uses this in the, God, in the, the book of Acts to note that out. Look, I would say and remind us, numbers aren't everything in the church, but I, I would argue more that conversions are. People coming to know Christ is, is where I think the numbers really matter most in the church, followed by discipleship and, and having them become mature believers. And, and, and I started thinking about that and like, why do I hold to that view that conversion seems to be more important than just numbers? Well, if I go to Luke chapter 15, verses four to seven, Jesus is telling a parable and he says this, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in, in, into the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he found it, he lays it on the shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy or rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than the other 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That's where my view comes from. It, it seems to me that Jesus is going, man, I love it that you are the righteous and you're, you are the 99, but there's that one that heaven rejoices over who comes to repentance, who comes back to God or comes to God for the first time. So I would just ask you, what, who is the one you are seeking to reach for Christ in 2022? There might be multiple people, but if there was just, man, Lord, if, if in 2022, this one person, this tugs at my heart, this one person, who is that for you? And you might ask, well, why does it matter? Thanks for asking the great question as we wrap up here. At Grace Hills Church, I want to give you two final reminders as we head towards home. First one is this. We worship a Savior who attracts the lost. We worship a Savior here today 
who attracts, draws in the lost. Verses 15 and 16 tells us this, so that they even carried out, what? The sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. And Peter came by and at least his shadow might fall on some of them. And the people also gathered from the towns and around Jerusalem. In other words, it's spreading, bringing the sick and those afflicted under unclean spirits. And they were all what? Healed. Because we worship a Savior who attracts the lost. Look, some non-believers you know at work, next door, someone you might see at the gym, uh, someone that... You connect with a family member that you saw over Christmas. You just think they just just don't seem to have any interest in God at all. In a relationship with Christ, they basically like, oh, you know, we don't need to hear about your Christianity thing, right? Maybe maybe you've been there. And and I would just say they they may not seem interested right now in knowing Christ, but, but don't give up. And you're thinking, well, yeah, I've heard someone tell me that. Well, I just remind you of why you shouldn't give up. Look, look, I love stories, and, and you haven't noticed, I'm kind of a storyteller, or I attempt to be at least, if people will listen. And, and, and one of the stories I love most, probably more than any other stories, is conversion stories. And so I could go on with example after example of people, celebrities, people that came to know Christ, race car drivers, uh, actors, whatever it might be, musicians, and recently I saw a musician, his name's Gary Hoey. He does this Ho Ho Hoey concert. He's a rock and roll guy, guitarist guy, one of the greatest guitarists going. He, he wrote the soundtrack for the greatest surf movie in my mind, Endless Summer 2. Okay, that's how I know who he is. All right, so I go watch him, and I see that he's doing this band camp down in Florida with some other guys. Well, I grew up in the 80s, and we were all into heavy metal, okay? Rock and roll, heavy metal thing. Well, one of the bands is Iron Maiden. Your kids, you probably don't have that in your, in your playlist, but, but, and I didn't either. But I look at the list and I see that this guy, Nico McBrain, the drummer for this band, that you would look at their albums and watch them and, and, and read the lyrics and like, there's no way that this guy would ever turn to Christ. But you know what? His wife, Rebecca, didn't give up on him. And when he came home from off tour... She'd been asking him, will you go to church with me? Will you go to church with me? Will you go to church with me? Finally, he goes to church. And he's sitting in church. And, and the pastor says, hey, do you want to make a decision for Christ? And everybody is standing at this point, except for Nico. And this is what he writes. I found myself crying, experiencing a calling I just sat there thinking, I didn't drink last night. Why can't I stand? I had this new love affair with Jesus going on in my heart. And I'm going, yes! I can't believe that that guy's a believer in Christ. I I get fired up about that. And there's another guy from a band called Megadeth. Just think of that name. The lead guy who found that came to know Christ as well. I just want to remind you, Grace Hills, we worship a Savior who attracts the what? And that means you shouldn't what? Give up. A second reminder I want to remind you of is we follow a Savior who directs us to illuminate Him. We follow a Savior who directs us to illuminate Him. 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, he said, you believers, you followers of Christ are the light of the world. The city on the hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, here's his point, let your light, which is the light of Christ, shine before others inside and outside so that they may see your good deeds and give glory, magnifying glory, right? Magnifying the Father who is in heaven. Friends, this is a description of the early church. I love this. They followed a Savior who directed them to illuminate him, and they did. And because they worshiped a Savior... Who attracted the lost. New believers were multiplied. And because of this, the power and glory of God was magnified because at the core of it, the church was unified. And so Grace Hills Church, like lightning in that storm, let God strike and illuminate his saving power through your life in 2022. More than what? more than ever. Father, thanks for your word and thanks for the opportunity to share your word today. Lord, I pray and ask that you would just guide and direct us as a church as you go forth in our journey and walk with you. Lord, it reflect who you are in our lives. Lord, that we wouldn't give up. Lord, that we would be led by your spirit. Lord, we would share who you are to others. God, help us to stay unified. May your power and glory be magnified through us. And Lord, may numbers of people convert to you as their Savior be multiplied. More than ever, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.